Hey, my name is Joe. Thank you so much, Sheriff, for being here this morning, uh, visiting online. Thank you for uh, tuning in to us here uh, today. Let's pray. Uh, Father, there's no one like you. Um, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. Uh, you exist without time, beyond time. Uh, there is no limit to your power, uh, your glory. Um, and yet, for some reason, you care about us and you've revealed yourself to us and you've given us the ability uh, to know you. And Lord, every one of us represent just a, uh, probably a boatload of things that just want to take um, our attention away from the most important things. Um, Lord, as we spend some time in your word together right now, I pray that you would bless us like Daniel prayed a little bit ago uh, with ears that are attuned to you and, and are willing to listen to you and to heed um, what we learn, Lord. Um, and I'm in the front of that list. Lord, I need you. And so uh, have your way as we spend some time in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm so glad uh, to be with you today. It's such an honor and privilege to um, open the word. Uh, we're in Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 6. We're going to just do a little introduction to um, a whole 60-verse message given by a guy by the name of Stephen, who was one of the seven Hellenists that were chosen to really take care of the, the, uh, the widows in that first century church. And Stephen is one of them. We learn from chapter 6 that Stephen was a person that was full of grace and full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn some more about him as well. Uh, but Stephen was a pretty significant person, although um, in this particular instance, at the end of his message, he gets killed. <laughs> Just that little detail. Um, and so we're going to pay attention here to, to what it is that, that he says. He's, um, I think, going to give us some lifelong, significant foundational principle, one or two principles to really build our lives on. And so I, I really invite you to, with me, listen to God's word and, and uh, take it in. So in, in Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 8, this is where we're going to start. <clears throat> and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cenarians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. That's the Sanhedrin. This would be the Supreme Court in Judah uh, during the time of Jesus. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the, this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of the face of an angel. That's kind of crazy. Isn't it? Have you ever seen this face? Have you ever seen a person full of God's Holy Spirit, 
full of his grace, full of his glory. It, there's a beam to that face. Would you agree? There, there's a uniqueness to that face. There is something that is desirable about that countenance. And so Stephen at this time in his life was filled to the point where his countenance was like brilliant. It spoke and it defeated whatever defense would come against him just by his countenance. And so this is the setting that he's going to have to defend himself because now he's brought before the council. And the council, um, although they should not have had in the first century the authority to put him to death, they do it anyway. At the end of this story, we'll see. And so he knows he's in trouble on the, on the horizontal plane. And uh, by the way, all of us are always in trouble on the horizontal plane. Would you agree? This is an evil world that we live in. That evil lives within me and my sinful nature is ready and willing to participate. We live um, in, um, in the enemy's territory. Uh, he, in Ephesians 2, Satan is called the prince of the air of this world. And we live in a world that has... Um, Values that are cross angles with the value of God and his word, right? And God, so God calls and he's always been about calling a people to himself from every tribe and tongue and every nation. He's always been about doing what is the surprising thing to us human beings, to love those who are unlovable, to go to that outcast and be able to win their soul to himself. And, and he's, 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 God is so winsome. And God is so on top of things. And God is so in control. And God is a, this God of glory is a God that is, when we see him and when we respond to him in faith, all we can do is, is love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and might. And then we learn from this God of glory that the only thing that he wants you see, he does not need our love. Do we all understand that? He has no needs. But what he wants, our response to be, to, to seeing him and his glory, is not just to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and might. He wants us to love one another. That's when the horizontal changes according to the economy of God. Is when human beings, even when they're against all odds, even when someone wants to take their life away, even when someone wants to ridicule them for their faith in this enormous, incredible, glorious God, even whatever fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. Because something happened to Stephen. <clears throat> and we're going to learn about that. But we're going to learn about that <clears throat> by talking about someone that lived 4,000 years ago from right now. This is kind of crazy, isn't it? Are you, do you even know anybody for, from 4,000 years ago? I'm waiting. <laughs> right? I was doing a little study. On, have you ever heard of Google? I said, what is the, what is the oldest standing man-made thing on the planet? There is a bridge 
was built in 860 BC that's still standing in the nation of Turkey, modern day Turkey. That's the oldest man-made structure. Um, and and so, so what is that? 2,000 plus 2,800 some thousand years old, right? But we're talking about Stephen starts when he's going to talk about this glorious God. He is going to talk about someone 2,000 years before he lived. And this person that he's going to talk about has had an influence on over 3 billion people in our world today. This person um, is said to be the father of the faith, of the Muslim faith, of the Christian faith, and of Judaism. 4,000 years ago from right now, there was a man who Stephen starts out his message. By the way, he's asked in verse 1 of chapter 7, And the high priest then turned to Stephen and said, Are these things so? And how Stephen responds to that question is he has a statement that's implied throughout his 60 verses. And he says, I'm not going to talk about are those things so. What I am going to talk to you about is what is so. And then he starts out and he says, the God of glory appeared. I don't want you to miss this pivotal statement in the Bible and specifically then in this passage too. The God of glory appeared. Has he appeared to you? Have you seen him? Have you, have, has God given you eyes to see and ears to hear the brilliance of the gospel message? And somehow, some way, beyond your understanding, you, you have faith in your gut that comes up and you believe. Uh, that is a response to seeing the glory of God. And that happened to me in 1976, and we'll return to uh, that day 46 years ago. Uh, when, when I conclude, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story about how the glory of God appeared to me. And so Stephen starts out by saying the glory of God appeared to Abraham. 4,000 years ago in about 1996 BC, according to dates of people that study such things and all the genealogies in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, about the year 1990, that's pretty accurate, that's close enough for me. 1996 BC, Abraham is visited by and sees the, the glory of God appears to him. And he, against all odds, decides to trust and to believe this revelation of God to his soul. And he says, listen, Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to leave where you're at. And I want to come to the place that I'll show you. And so Abraham does what I have a hard time doing. Anybody else? I want to know where we're going, when, how we're going to get, right? But faith says, no, I see, I see your glory, God. And I see, and I hear clearly what you're asking me to do. So I'm going to take the next step. 
And because Abraham took the next step, three billion people on our planet today are still responding to the appearance of the glory of God to Abraham in 1996 BC. Isn't this crazy? Who else do we talk about 4,000 years ago, except that the glory of God appeared? And when the glory of God appears to a human being, it changes everything. Would you agree? It's supposed to change everything. Nothing else quite matters in comparison. Would you agree? When a person actually sees and tastes and smells and, and, and feels and, and has within them the burning of the glory of God that comes to you and you're like, oh my goodness, God really does exist and he really loves me and he's incredibly, brilliantly bright and full of goodness. <sighs> Happened to me on February 3rd of 1976. It's been the only thing that has mattered at the end of the day for this soul. And so, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, that's Iraq today, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from um, your land and from your kindred and go into the land and I will show you. And then he goes and, and he waits till his father dies and, and then the Lord picks him up. It says, I'm gonna, I, I've got to go quick because there's 60 verses and everybody said, says, thank you. Abraham, he leaves and he goes and he follows God to the promised land. He gets to the promised land and everything is rosy, right, for Abraham? No. It says, here it is. <laughs> and and um, Moses says, okay. And it says in the text that he did not possess even a foot length of the property. But the promise says, but I will bring your offspring back to this place down the road. It's only going to be about 480 years from now. How are you <laughs> at waiting for four minutes? Not very good. Right? You see, because when you see the glory of God and you believe the brilliance and, and the in, incredible presence of Jesus Christ as, as the Holy Spirit highlights him in your life, nothing else quite matters. This allows a human being to freely give themselves, to be freed, first of all, from all the gravity of the horizontal. Does anybody need a little of that sometimes? I mean, there are things, right, that just capture us rightfully full. So they're, they're meaningful. They matter. But my goodness, Lord, I don't think I have what it takes to take on this next thing. Anybody with me right now? I don't know of any family that isn't there. You know, there, when I first came here, I thought there was one family. I thought this family's perfect. Dig, nabbit, you know, there's always one. Right? I mean, you know, their car's always clean. I try to get it dirty and I just, they, it's clean. You know, they're, they're kids. They're always happy and smiling. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Right? You know who I'm talking? Not, I mean, you don't know the family. No, yeah. Right? There was, a, there was a family like this in Hastings at the church. We were there too. They drove me crazy until I got to know them. <laughs> I'm like, oh. 
you have problems? I don't know. It was, it was really sinister of me, but I was so happy. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? You know these people? I mean, they touch something, it turns to gold, everything's clean, and it, you know, their hair's perfect. Drives some of us crazy who don't have hair. <laughs> right? So, you're right. We have it. Is anybody ever jealous? Is it just me? Right? Right? Well, the people that, that Stephen is dealing with right now, they're jealous of him because they can see on his face something that their hearts long for. And it was the appearance of the God of glory. And Stephen testifies to it being in Abraham in the pages of that Old Testament, all those Old Testament texts about the life of Abraham, how he trusted God and continued to trust God, even though he didn't get what he was promised during his lifetime. It says that Abraham continued to believe in this hope that God had given him in the promise. Are you that kind of person? No, I want it now. Or are you, I want it now. If I can't get it now, if everybody around me doesn't like line up and, and kind of do things when I want them to do things, I, I'm just not going to be happy. Right? And the big old lip comes out, you know. Right? Don't people know? Anybody, anybody know of any control freaks in the world? Do not look at your significant other right now or anybody. Don't look up here either. Right? We, we, we all have a tendency to be control freaks, right? All right. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I heard you. Yeah. Yeah. You, Brian, you know, if we don't say right, he's going to start this whole thing. <laughs> so it, it wasn't going good for Abraham. And then it, then it, then it unfolds and he says, okay, I'm going to give you a covenant verse eight. And the covenant is going to be circumcision. Could you think of something else? God. I mean, I'm here and I'm not going to get the land. And you say, my, some, somebody down the line, I, they're going to get to see it. And they're going to get all the stuff that I thought you were promising to me. And then you want to make a sign. And that sign is this. Come on. Right? But it really doesn't matter. When the God of glory appears to a human being. All the way right in Abraham, follow Abraham's life. He's trying to do the right thing and Sarah can't get pregnant, but you know, he's got to have a kid because that's the promise that comes through his line. And so he, he and Sarah make a terrible mistake and Sarah says, it's all your fault after they agreed on, right? Did you read the story? He has a baby through Hagar, whose name is Ishmael, and Ishmael is the father of the Arab worlds that we know today. Is there such testimony of the scriptures that still exist today? In opposition, as the prophets and the promise and the, and the teaching would be, um, that between Isaac and Ishmael, there's going to be problems. And is there? This should just like, yeah, God's word stands. At every generation, at every turn, the God of glory, when he speaks, we need to listen to it and follow it because it's true even in, this, even in these historical facts. All right. Oh, man. So verse 9. So then 
There's so much here, right? So Abraham has a kid by the name of Isaac. Isaac has a kid by the name of Jacob and Esau, right? Right? And I love this about the Bible because everybody's, every family's got trouble. You ever read about Jacob and Esau? You know, if it wasn't bad enough with, with Isaac and who was his brother? Ishmael, right? I mean, go, go, this should kind of make us all be like, okay. Any family not have trouble? Please don't raise your hand because I'll be like, mm. right? Anybody not have trouble? Anybody have something in your life that, that you're up against that you know you can't handle? Things that I wish were different. Anybody, raise your hand. You need some exercise right now anyway. Raise a foot if that'll help. Right? We all have trouble. But when the God of glory appears, the trouble changes. And so, so Stephen is campaigning with his readers to live in light, not of all of the realities that we have in the horizontal and Man, you know, ad nauseum problems, right? Everywhere. If it's not outside of me, it's inside of me. But that's not where we live as followers of Jesus Christ. We live in and under the appearance of the God of glory, who is our hope, who, is, who, is born, who has caused you and I to be born again into a living hope. Does that mean anything to anybody? That, to me, that's a, when Peter says that in 1 Peter, I'm like, I just want some of that every moment of every day, living hope. Because I can open my eyes and that hope can be, can be so evaporated quickly. Anybody else? Hope is kind of hard to come by, but we have the appearance of the God of glory. And so the patriarchs, the patriarchs the, these are 12 sons then of Jacob, whose name became Israel. Uh, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, the, the 11th born son, sold him into Egypt. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, right? But families have problems. Do you see it? Here's brothers selling their brother to Egypt. Who does that? Godly people? These are our, these are our patriarchs. We, we don't worship them, do we? They're just like us. Can I have an amen in the room? Anybody above this? Anybody you think you wouldn't do some stupid things? I know, I know, not you right now, never, but maybe in the future, right? You're going to do some stupid things. Okay, let's pray and go home. <laughs> but Stephen said, I'm going to tell you what is so. He doesn't care about these things, these accusations against him, this pressure against him. And so there's jealousy in this family. There came a famine. As you know, if you don't know the story, I don't have time to go into it. Joseph saves the day. 
all his older brothers who sold him a slavery come and they bow down before him, pleading with him to give them some food because there's this long famine. You want to read about that? That's Genesis chapter 32 through um, uh, 32, 38 through 52. 38 through 50. <laughs> okay, Joe's back. All right, verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, the promise to Abraham that his kids would finally take possession of this land still hasn't happened, right? Which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants. They were going to kill the baby boys so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up in her own as her own son. Verse 22, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Okay. Whew. When you hear someone, or if like you get to hire an attorney because not that you'd ever be in trouble and need one, but let's just say you'd need to, and you see that they have a degree from Harvard, you're like, and I can afford you? We got a deal. I'm in trouble. I need it, right? If you have credentials, that means Moses had the highest credentials on the planet at 40 years old, having been trained by the wealthiest, most powerful um, Pharaoh on the planet at the time. Pharaoh was it. Harvard, cum laude, something cherry on top <laughs> and so um, Moses was instructed in all this wisdom of the Egyptians <laughs> when he was 40 years old it came into his heart to visit his brothers the children of Israel now what is in his heart I've been instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt I got this would you agree would you you get a degree from Harvard, you get a job, I got this, right? Come on. No? Yeah, you are right. I mean, this is the way the world operates. Joe, you're setting me up right now. You are right, I am. The Bible is setting all of us up right now. So when he was 40 years old, came to visit his children, he says, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Okay, you just killed an Egyptian. Wise, very wise, wise person, brought up in all the education in Egypt. He supposed that his brothers would understand. There's a problem right there. Have you ever been understood by somebody else when you've done something stupid? No, people like usually get it when we do something stupid and they're like, that is stupid. But it did not register for Moses that that was stupid. He thought, I am it. Have you ever been there? I got this. I've been here and I've done that. I've got my credentials. I've been a believer for 46 years. I got this. I know exactly what God will have me do. 
Anybody ever get a little bit spiritually pride? Yes, you do. If you've been around here a long time, if you've been around the body, you've been around the word, if, if you do not continue like we all need to do to understand, to get ourselves low un, uh, underneath the glory of this God and, 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 and be gentle with ourselves and with one another, right? We have to intentionally do that because sometimes we think we got this. I love that this story is in the scripture. And so he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. There's a problem there. Would you agree? Have you ever said, I'm going to, this person in my family needs saved. I'm going to save them. I've been around the Bible for 50 years, and I am going to, I've got the credentials. I have been to church. I even shook, I even had lunch with Chad, <laughs> Pastor Chad. I got this, man. But they did not understand. Oh, really? <laughs> and on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, man, you are brothers. Why, why, why? Do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him, Moses aside, saying, Hey, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? It was on the street now. Pharaoh would come after Moses and have him executed. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became a father of two kids. Now, when another 40 years went by, how are you doing for four minutes of waiting? All right? I mean, four days is stretching it. Four months, you've got to be kidding me. Right? Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of the fire in the bush. And you know the story. He sees this amazing sight. He drew near. He looked at it. There came a voice, which was the voice of the Lord, and said, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man, I'm still here in 1500 BC with you now, just like I was with Abraham, just like I was with Isaac, just like I was with Jacob. I'm still here. I'm still appearing in my glory. I'm still wanting to give grace. I'm still wanting to give wisdom to people. I'm here. So then the Lord said, take off your sandals, man. You're in, this is holy ground right here. I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. Oh, listen to this. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. You see, it's God. When God's glory appears to us, God, yes, are we to love God? Don't hear me not say this. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and might, but he does not need us to love him. What he needs us to do is to love other people. He loves us so much and gives us so much security and saves us from all of our wrongs, even when we don't deserve it. He's trying to set us up so that we're willing to do whatever it is he asks next for us to do. And that next thing always has to do with loving others as you love yourself, right? The greatest commandment. And so there's a whole lot of people who are like, yeah, but I love God with all my 
heart, soul, mind, and might. I don't give a... I almost swore about people. How, how does that work in God's economy? Whew. Yeah, but they're liberal. Oh, don't start on me, Joe. Yeah, but they're conservative. Thank you. Oh, they're... They, you, who, you, they went to the Methodist church. Yeah. They're second congregational. They're Baptist. <laughs> this is what we do. And, you know, we're laughing at it right now. This is not funny for God. He says, the only way that this world that does not know me will see the glory that I have if, is if you will love one another as I have loved you. Then the world will know that you actually belong to me, that I am your disciple, that you're living under my glory. That is how we reflect the glory of God, believers in Jesus Christ, is by loving one another like Jesus loved us. Making any sense to anybody? It's really easy to say. It's probably even easy to listen to. Isn't it a little bit hard when you get out there? But this is the call of God. And this is why we need to have some foundation in our life, like the glory of God appearing to us to help us understand that's the foundation upon which I'm going to build my life is whatever God asks me to do next, because I have recognized he is the God of glory, the God of all glory. And whatever it is that he asked me to do next, that's what I'm going to do. Even if it's crazy, like love someone that has a different politic than I do. Love them if they have a different morality than I do. Did you say morality? Isn't this whole thing about morality? No. This whole thing is about the glory of God. This whole thing is about the love of God. This that whole thing is about the holiness of God that loves every human being. Who did Jesus hang out with? Well, read, and then read the lineage in Matthew chapter 1. Yeah, but they don't agree with our sexual ethic. Do you think the glory of God is bigger than your sexual ethic? You do not have to sell your theological farm. You stay true to God, the God of glory. But it's always going to be expressed. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. You want a verse for that? That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. That's the exact quote from the NIV translation. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Yeah, and it doesn't say, unless they have a different morality or a different polity than you have, or they have a different denomination or a different nationality. Oh, brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to get past this. Otherwise, we're losing ground, aren't we? Would you agree we're losing ground? The gospel is losing ground. I'm not saying that the way forward is easy for any of us. It's not. I have fresh vision of my own life, my own ministry, these next 18 months before I retire, and it has to do with this. I, 
I want to get after it with all of my heart because I, the, God, the God of glory has appeared to me so many times on the topic of Joe. I want you to be a person who goes and helps people get along that don't typically get along. Your call will be different. So your hands aren't going to work. So then Moses listens to the call and starts getting busy after now that the, the, the spirit has come, the angels come and spoke to him. God, God Almighty has come. The great I am has come and said, I'm going to send you and I want you to go. So now he's there. And now it's going to work like magic, right? No, it doesn't work like magic ever. <laughs> Don't you wish it would? Just one week, right? And it does. And Moses has problem after problem after problem. And he is doing it by the hand of God, not by his own hand, but it's still trouble. So please do not think that the call of God on your life means that it's going to be comfortable. Comfortable is an idol that's in opposition to God Almighty. It's not comfortable. Loving somebody that's hard to love isn't easy. Would you agree? But that's the call on our life. Loving someone that disagrees with us is our call. You know, the watermark for Christianity isn't love people that love you. The, the watermark for Christianity is love your enemy. Come on. This is a call of God. And you cannot do it apart from a, a power greater than yourself. Would you agree with that? And that power is here in the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Oh, I got to keep moving, don't I? Don't look at the clock, Joe. Okay. Verse, verse 41, I just want to pick this verse up because it's got this theme I want to conclude with. And verse 41, and they made a calf in those days. This is, this is what Moses was up against. Now, he, now he's there under the call of God with the blessing of God. And this is what happens on his watch. And he's doing everything right. Have you ever done everything right and it just doesn't go right? Don't you love? I love the Bible does not hold back these things. It's like tells us how it is. And so they, the people that Moses was leading out of Egypt, after they had already seen these 10 incredible miracles, and they had seen the Red Sea part and them go across and all of the Egyptian army killed, still they made a calf and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing. Do you see what it says? In the work of their hands. We have a problem, don't we? We want to build God and we want to do God's will with our hands. How we want it. When we want it. What we want, right? We all have this bend. When the, when, the, when the God of glory appears to us, the effect needs to change everything. It changed everything for Moses. He kept on going, didn't he? I, I, we don't have time. If you ever have time to go and just listen to God Almighty and Moses call one another off of the cliff. Moses calls God off of the, I'm going to 
take them out. Moses pleads with God, don't do that. Moses goes down the hill and sees what they're doing. And he's like, I'm going to kill them. And, and God Almighty says, no, Moses, no, Moses. I love the intimacy that God has with human beings. It's real. It's raw. Don't think it's all dressed up in some spiritual, you know, quackity. That's a great word, by the way. <laughs> Did you bring to me slain beasts? This is God responding to making this, this calf that, you know, because they were worshiping the host of heaven. So he, he highlights these two heavenly idols, Moloch and Raphaim. The images that you made to worship, you made them to worship. You made them. Um, Father of the church, Augustine, said that Christians are idol manufacturers. We can, we can manufacture idols like crazy all day long. Right? Anybody? Poo, I can get so fixated on something. Mary Beth, you do not speak up right now. <laughs> our fathers, verse uh, 44, our fathers, we're going to move to David. So we got Abraham, 1996 B.C. We got Moses, 1500. Now we're going to move to David, 1000 B.C. Our fathers had a tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to take it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with, with Joshua when he came to dispossess this land. And finally, they were in there after 480-some years after the promise came to Abraham. David wanted to build a place, a dwelling place uh, for God, the, God, the presence of God. But it was Solomon who built the house. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. There we go. We had a theme in, the, in these verses. Would you agree? Hands. Which hand, what, what building do we want? Do we want the building that, that human hands make? No, we don't. Do we want a scheme that human beings make? No, we don't need human hand schemes. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool, God says. What kind of house would you even build for me, says the Lord? Um, or what kind of a place uh, could you build me to rest? Did not my hands make all things? In this room, what did God make with his hands? Me, you. He does not, you know... I want us to respect spaces. That's important to me. This space is nothing. This, this place at some point will implode. Someone will knock it down. Right? It's going to happen. Um, in, 1990, in 1976, um, I gave my life to Christ in this building. We're going to see this building behind me. Al, if you put that video up. And so 12, uh, 10 years ago, so Wetzel Hall, the house where the sprinkler is going on over there, it's just about ready to explode. Okay, you can turn that off. That's the building. 
that I gave my life to Christ on February 3rd, 1976, and it's gone. But the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God is still in my heart. The God who appeared to me in all of his glory that night is still in my heart. That's, that's the same building I met my wife in, Mary Beth. I'm glad we're still together. Important things happen in spaces, but they're not, the spaces aren't that important. The only thing that lasts in our life is, is when God reveals himself in his glory, and that's where we build our lives from. At every turn, we don't build it on our preferences. We don't build it on, on our demands. We don't build it on our timing even. Look at the time. You know, we don't have time to look at all the timing in this 430 years and 40 years and then another 40 years. And whoa, my goodness, God, when are you going to work? And then all of a sudden he works and you got like, God, God, would you slow down a little bit? I can't keep up, right? Like in, in, in um, Panama. He's in control and, and he's just wanting people to follow him. But we'll just settle down a little bit. And not take things into their own hands, but trust his hands. God is perfect. Like when Mary Beth asked me to marry her, <laughs> we weren't even sure we were dating. And I am such a dimwit chicken. I invite her to a night class at seminary. Well, what's the class about? Well, it's about, you know, what the Bible has to say about marriage, finances and marriage, communication, conflict resolution, you know, how to build a good marriage relationship. So there's this long silence. I just invited her to a stinking class at seminary. There's this long pause. And she says, Joe, I would love to marry you. It's the best diet plan I ever went on the next two weeks. I, 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 I was in seminary. I had $424 to my name. I didn't even know we were dating. <laughs> but the glory of God showed up that night in some amazing ways. And both of us testified to it. We know. We, both of us were, had relinquished our life to God. We were both sold out to letting God lead our lives. And, and she put my name on a piece of paper and threw it in an in a incinerator <laughs> a couple summers before in, in Omaha, Nebraska. She was with some Christians, and they said, hey, let's put something on a piece of paper that you're having a hard time giving up, and let's just burn it and say, God, I'm yours. I don't want to be led by anything else but what you want. So she put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in Joe McConkie, and there I burnt. <laughs> I did the same thing. It's in my journal. It's, it's incredible what, what God had done when we just decided, you know what, your way your time, whatever you want to do, God, that's what we want. And so we're going to celebrate 40 years of marriage here in just a few weeks, man. And, and God has, the thing that sustains us is, is not Joe or Mary Beth. It's, it's really this whole idea that the, the God of glory has appeared to us. And he changes everything about us. And that's the invitation um, for us from this passage of scripture.
I don't have time to finish it. Maybe Daniel will pick up some of it next week. But if the worship team would come on up, I've taken way too much time. Come on up and we're going to close. As soon as I get up here, here in just a uh, moment, um, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, and, and if it helps you to keep your eyes open, look above, whatever helps you just focus. But I, I'd like to keep my eyes open. Lord, I thank you uh, just for your presence here. I, I see your glory on every face. Uh, from the little babies in the, in the back and to the oldest of us all, Lord, I, I see your glory on every one of us. And, and really what we need is you. And you have made yourself so accessible. You, you have given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. You have given us your son. You've given us your spirit. And so God, come and have your way in our lives. Turn those things that have been really difficult for us. I pray that you would turn them under the light of your glory and that we would move forward in that light and not in our strength. God, we put down things that we have trusted that we've built with our own hands. We put those down before you. We lay them down before you today. And we say, just have thine own way. Have your way in us, Lord. We need you. We need you every hour. And thank you that you're so with us in the name of Jesus.